words I'd like to direct your attention to this afternoon are found once again in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7. And we will be looking at the last section of Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Mark 7, 31 through 37. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave, order, gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Please pray with me. Lord, it is true that you do all things well. And it's our desire to see your work continue. Continue in this world through the evangelization of the lost but also in our church and in our own lives as well. Lord, we want to be a holy people who are fit for Your service, who walk with You all our days. And so we ask that You would use Your Word this afternoon to continue to instruct us and to shape us and to conform us into Your likeness. And Lord, I personally ask that You would give me wisdom and guidance as I seek to exposit Your Word and make it clear. But we ask specifically for Your help that You would open our eyes and give us ears to hear. That, Spirit, You would work through Your Word to shape us. For apart from You and Your power and Your work, nothing would be accomplished. And so we once again beseech your assistance as we look at your word this afternoon. In Christ's name, amen. Queen Victoria was once having a meal with uh, Admiral Foley of her Navy, and she was inquiring of him about a ship that had recently been sunk off um, off, off the coast of Portsmouth. And having exhausted that subject, she turned to one more interesting to her. That was of her close friend, the Admiral's sister. But the Admiral, being hard of hearing, replied to her in his sophisticated voice, Well, ma'am, I'm going to have her turned over, take a good look at her bottom, and have it well scraped. Queen, unable to control her laughter, put down her handkerchief and laughed until tears were running down her cheeks. 
It's important to be well heard. Have you ever instructed somebody to do something only to have them ignore what you have just said to them? When this happens, one of three things has taken place. Either you didn't speak loud enough or they're hard of hearing. A third option is they just simply didn't want to hear what you had to say. And usually I think it's the third. And children in particular are quite skilled at this. Um, It's a remarkable phenomenon how um, a simple request to do something will fall on deaf ears, and yet the mere mention of the word candy can be heard from miles away, and they'll come running. It's what my father used to call selective hearing. And people do this to God all the time. Consider just these few commands from one book in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, that frequently fall on deaf ears. Ephesians 5.15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See how easy it is for us to play deaf to God's instructions. And I, I doubt any of us would hard-heartedly not just fiercely resist wanting to follow those commands. Part of, part of the reason we struggle to follow those commands is just they're really difficult. But the truth is, when we're faced with difficult commands, how easy it is just to not hear them. Or pretend that we don't hear them. And just do what we want instead. See, hearing, though, does not just merely entail Obeying commandments. See, often hearing entails simply listening or trying to understand what a speaker is saying. For instance, God's Word isn't just made up of commands. It's history, it's stories, genealogy, poetry, proverbs. It's got a lot of different genres besides commands, but God desires us to be instructed by all of it. All of it is purposeful for our instruction. 2 Timothy 3.15 And hearing often entails looking into the Scripture in order to discern its relevance and its significance for us immediately. And just as in the story we'll look at today, there are no commands given to us that we need to obey in this passage. But careful observation will point out that it is warning us not to be spiritually deaf. And the story can be broken down into two sections. Verses 31 through 35 deal with a deaf man and Christ's response to him. And then 36 through 37 describes a disobedient people. Let's look first at the deaf man. 
Beginning in verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So we're told that this story takes place in the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a region that, made up, that was made up of ten cities. And the previous took account that we looked at last week took place in Tyre, which was actually on the opposite side of the lake. So the Decapolis was quite a distance from the other part of Galilee, where Jesus was just at. And so Mark is highlighting this story in particular for a reason. And the Decapolis was still considered part of Israel, but it was largely, like the region before, Gentile territory. It was still part of Israel, but it was mostly inhabited by Gentiles. And in fact, during the life of time of Jesus, the Decapolis had become moderately prosperous due to trade, and they actually formed an alliance with Rome to suppress any Jewish uprising that might come up. So they're very Gentile and pro-Roman. And you might recall that Jesus had visited this region before when he had healed the uh, demoniac from Gadara and had sent him, after healing him, into the Decapolis to proclaim what had just taken place. And that was in chapter 5. Verse 28. And so upon entering this region, Jesus is immediately surrounded by people who want him to perform a miracle. And it says they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And it's interesting because we're not told who they are. It could refer to the crowds or to the disciples or just the people of the Decapolis. Maybe it was the man's friends. The nearest antecedent is crowds mentioned in verse 33. But it's still somewhat unclear. But what's even more interesting than that is Mark doesn't specify, which is really remarkable. It's unlike Mark not to tell us who the subject of this story is. Because throughout Mark's gospel, he's always emphasized people's response to Christ. And it was either the crowds or it was the Pharisees or it was the disciples or maybe it was one person who faithfully understood what Christ was teaching and wanted to follow him. But here, none of those people are mentioned. It's just they. Which makes this vague use of the pronoun very striking. And I think that the, the use of the pronoun suggests that he's actually considering all of these groups. He's th- he, this is Israel. Israel's response to Christ. My, Mark is summarizing the general response of the people of Israel to Jesus. And that is that they saw him primarily as a worker of miracles. That's why they were coming to him. And many did identify him as the Messiah. But as we've seen, very, very few truly listened to him truly seek to understand what he's saying. And so they bring to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Literally, it says he spoke with difficulty. And so the point is he wasn't absolutely mute. He could make sounds of some sort, maybe a few words. And they implored, implored Jesus to heal him. 
And notice again also that it was they who brought the man. The man didn't come on his own accord. He wasn't coming to Jesus. It was they. They brought him because they want to see a miracle. See, the people are looking for a show, which is why Jesus responds the way that he does. Look at verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. See, Jesus, being moved with compassion, wants to heal people. And he will heal this man from his infirmity. But at the same time, he is not interested in becoming a spectacle for entertainment. That's why he takes the man aside privately. Furthermore, the fact that he sighs, if you see in verse 33, he sighs before healing the man, suggests that there's some emotional weight to what's going on here. Because sighing in Scripture conveys significant emotion. In fact, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says this about sighing. Sighing takes place by reason of a condition of oppression under which man suffers and from which he longs to be free because it's not in accord with his nature, expectations, or hope. And in fact, the word, the word that Mark uses here for sigh is usually translated to groan. 2 Corinthians 5.2 For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Romans 8 For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's the same words translated sigh here. The ladies this Saturday came across this word being used in Hebrews 13 as well. And so Jesus is clearly bothered. And it's possible that he's groaning like creation, seeing the effects of sin and its consequences in this man's impediments. But it seems more likely that he's more upset at the people's response to seeing him as simply a miracle worker. And the manner in which he heals the man is also remarkable. Because all that Jesus needed to do for somebody to be healed was simply will that they'd be healed. He doesn't have to speak. He doesn't have to touch them. He doesn't have to bring them, you know, set them aside. Jesus just had to think in his mind, be healed and the man would be healed. So why the dramatic performance of sticking his fingers in his ears and then spitting and then touching his tongue? Because all of Jesus' miracles are making a theological statement. He's teaching us something in every miracle he does. So what is he wanting to say here? He puts his fingers in his ears and then he spits. Well, one well-known commentator insightly suggests that Jesus is demonstrating through these actions to the deaf man what he's about to do. Because the deaf man, he can't, he can't explain to the deaf man because he can't hear And I think that's possible. But it really, at the same time, doesn't explain the privacy, the groaning, the spitting, and the people's response, or even other Old Testament texts that are very relevant, as we'll see. So I think more is going on here than just simply telling the deaf man what he's about to do. And it's interesting, we have two accounts in the book of Mark of Jesus 
spitting in order to heal. In fact, that's, that's where we find these accounts. And twice Jesus spits to heal. And this one and the other that takes place is to heal a blind man. So he spits in order to heal a deaf man who's mute and a blind man. Yet every other reference to spitting in Scripture is clearly negative. It's, it's an act that's always used to disgrace people, just like it is in our culture. For instance, when the Lord struck Miriam with leprosy because she had criticized Moses, Moses then pleads on her behalf, but this is how the Lord responds. He says, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? We're told in Deuteronomy 25.9 that if a single man refused to marry his deceased brother's widow in order to continue his brother's line, that his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. Clearly not an act of compassion or healing. And in his grief, Job complains, he has made me a byword of the people's. And I am one before whom men spit. So every time spitting is used in Scripture, it's seen as a a demonstration of disdain. Which begs the question, why did Jesus spit? Well, I think the clue is actually found in Isaiah 35. And partly why I would have you turn there is the only other time for the word death that's used, that Mark uses here, the word death, it's magalalon in Greek, the only other time it's used in the Bible is in Isaiah 35. It's used two times, Isaiah 35 and here. And as we know, as we've seen in Mark before, he frequently quotes the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And during one of... Isaiah's announcements regarding the work of the Messiah, this is what he proclaims. The the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And so there's this, along with the healing of the Messiah, there will be this flourishing, this, this watering of the ground so the grass would grow lush. And it seems that with the act of spinning, Jesus is finishing the prophecy. He's demonstrating he's the Messiah through his healings. And in a nod to Isaiah 35, he's noting, here I am. I am healing the blind, the lame, the mute, the deaf, and he's communicating with the act. But because you won't listen to me, you won't see the rest of this prophecy get fulfilled with rain. Instead, all you're going to see is spit. Because you won't listen to me. And Jesus, still in compassion, he will still heal the man because the man hasn't done anything wrong. Which just shows just the compassion of our Lord. He wants to heal the weak and remove infirmities. 
regardless of the motivations of those who have brought him, Jesus will still heal the man. But he's at the same time deeply disturbed as seen in the groaning by the people's response. And he wants to show it through spitting and groaning. See, Israel should have recognized who Jesus is instead of treating him like a sideshow artist. See, they were blind to his true identity as God. Some recognized that, yeah, maybe this is the Messiah, but they didn't grasp this is the Son of God himself. When he couldn't have made his identity more obvious. Which just demonstrates how spiritually blind and spiritually deaf they actually are. They're, they're more deaf than the man that Jesus heals here. Because they won't truly listen to Jesus. And this is exactly what Isaiah prophesied would happen. We read earlier in chapter 42, verse 18. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. But who is blind like my servant? He's referring to Israel here. Or deaf as the messenger whom I, send, whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one? Or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. This man really is an illustration of who Israel is. And as much as Jesus desires to heal this man of his deafness, his greater longing and the reason he came is so that Israel might be healed from its spiritual deafness. But because they won't come to him, realizing their need for a spiritual savior and not just a political one, Jesus' ministry is just limited to physical healing. So he heals the man, declaring in Aramaic, Ephetha, which means be opened, and the man is able to hear and speak clearly. But again, the evidence of Israel's spiritual deafness is demonstrated in their disobedience, as we see. Verses 36 to 37, as Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he's done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So after healing the man, Jesus immediately charged them, don't tell anyone. Again, it's he's charging them, the they, whoever they are. And as we saw earlier in Mark, Jesus doesn't want this reputation of just being a healer. He, he heals people, but he heals people to demonstrate who he is. What he really wants is he wants people to listen to him, to hear his message, his proclamation of the kingdom of God. The, the healings are just signs that he should be listened to and signs of who he actually is. But again, we see they don't listen to him at all. In fact, they do the opposite because Jesus charges them multiple times. Look at verses 36 and verses 37. Verse 37. He charged them multiple times not to tell anyone. But, but look what it says. The more he charged, the more zealously they disobeyed. That's the point. They're deaf. They're not listening. Who is truly deaf? As deaf as the messenger whom I send. See, even though they were astonished beyond measure, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. 
And they noted that he has done all things well. This is, that means, that's the kind of stuff God does. God's the one that creates things and calls it good. And they say, this man does all things well. Astonished beyond measure. And they still won't listen to him. Even though he fulfills the clear prophecies about the Messiah's work, hearing the deaf, healing the lame, opening the eyes of the blind, they would not listen to him. I mean, you recall what John the Baptist said when he was imprisoned by Herod and he sent his followers to Jesus to ask if he was truly the one And Jesus answered them and said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, Jesus made it astonishingly clear who he was. And yet people would still not listen. And Israel should have known that Hearing wasn't enough. Because in the Jewish mindset, hearing was obeying. The most well-known scripture for the Jewish people is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema. The word hear, Shema, can be translated to hear or to obey. And remember how many times Jesus declares, let him who has ears hear. See, if you have ears to hear the law, you will obey the law. That's what he's saying. If you don't obey what God's word says, you haven't really heard it. You've listened to it, but you haven't really heard it. Hearing will result in obedience. So if a person doesn't obey what God says, either... They don't really believe it's God's word. They think it's just the musings of some old religious people who put these ideas down in a book because they want to control the masses with structures of morality. They don't really believe it's God's word. It's just a religious text. No different from the Bhagavad Gita or the the Quran. Or they simply just don't want to do what it says. In fact, the... The reason most people don't want to come to a church or a church that proclaims, that actually preaches the Bible is because they want to be in charge of their life, not God. They don't want God telling them what to do. They just want God to support them in whatever they want to do. And for those of you who come week after week and you don't want to miss a word, it isn't because you think that I'm a great speaker. I'm well aware of that. It's because you really believe that this is the Word of God. And you want to know what it says, and you want to know how you can live according to it. And you recognize that hearing God's Word preached is the most important moment of your entire week. And so you are here to hear. That's why you're here. John Calvin asserted in Book 4, Chapter 1 of his Institutes, that the first mark of the true church is the preaching of the Word of God. But he made it clear there too that it's not just preaching. The Word must also be faithfully heard and received by the people. See, Calvin's point is that 
if God speaks through the preaching of the word of God and no one is listening and no one is responding, then no church actually exists. There's just proclamation, but there's no church. But where the word is faithfully preached and received, there the mark of the true church can be seen. And this is why the reformers would often call worship a a dialogue between God and his people. God speaks and then his people respond. So the point is, they're not we're not coming just to listen to God's word, but to hear it and hear it in such a way that it changes our life. And this is why the Apostle James likewise tells us in chapter one of his epistle, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And then he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all of his doing. So even though time and time again, Jesus proved that he was the Messiah, and gave clear evidence that he was the Son of God, Israel rejected him. Which begs the question, why? When he clearly showed the signs, he clearly fulfilled the prophecies. Well, it's because they wanted his healings, but they didn't want to hear. They wanted his works, but they didn't want his word. And so they rejected the word himself. And Mark records for us in chapter 15. Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man that you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed. And spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. When they would mocked him. They stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes. Upon him. And they led him out to crucify him. See in the history of the world. Mankind has done horrible things. The Holocaust. The Rwandan genocide. The Cambodian genocide. The Armenian genocide, man has done great evil, but this was the greatest atrocity ever committed. The crucifixion of the Son of God. And it demonstrates how indescribably evil 
and how horrifically hard man's heart really is. And it, de- it demonstrates how determined man is to remain deaf to God's word. And that is why Jesus came. Because he alone could rescue. He alone could save. There, was, there is nothing we can do to change our hard hearts. That's how hard our hearts are. No act of the will, no good works can change the hardness and the selfishness and the pride of the human heart. See, Jesus came because there was only one way in which the heart of man could be permanently healed from the consequences of sin. And Jesus came to rescue the spiritually deaf from their deafness. Note that in the book of Isaiah, the Messiah declares in Isaiah 55, The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. This was prophesied hundreds of years before the crucifixion. Jesus knew what he was in for. But he came because there was no other means of rescue. Except that he suffer in our place for our sin. He received the penalty we deserved for our rebellion. And the good news here is that if you recognize that you too are spiritually deaf, that you would rather turn a deaf ear to God's commands than obey Him, that there's hope. If you would like to be healed from your hard-heartedness, all you need to do is simply believe in what He accomplished. Because He's done all the rescuing for you. All you need to do is simply believe. Well, how is this belief demonstrated? The way it's always been demonstrated. Hearing his word and then obeying it. But of course, before you can hear and obey, you must have your heart changed. But after your heart's changed, if it's been changed, as you hear the word, you will want to obey it. Those who truly believe in Him seek to obey Him. The greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, remarkably concluded with these words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. The clearest sign 
of spiritual deafness is willful disobedience. And the clearest sign of spiritual life is joyful obedience. Clearest sign of spiritual deafness is willful disobedience. Clearest sign of spiritual life is joyful obedience. Let's pray. Lord, we desire to be a joyfully obedient people. And we acknowledge that we often willfully choose to turn a deaf ear to your instructions. But for that very reason, Lord, we'd ask that you would continue to work in our hearts and and that you would be gracious to us. That we would not leave here as the fool who looks in the mirror and remains unchanged, but that we would be changed, that we would repent. And Lord, as we come to your word morning by morning, evening by evening, Bible study by Bible study, Sunday by Sunday, Lord, that we would be changed that we would be every day conformed more and more to the image of Christ through the power of Your Word. And that we would be known as a church that is joyfully obedient and loving even as You love. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.